it's week six of germ syllabus and it's week six out of 10. So that means that we've crossed the center line, which is great. It's the second half. Um, I'm always doing sports metaphors for Brett, um, my resident sports super fan. So you've heard us talking already about this week's theme, which is abuse and supremacism, which we know is a light, fun theme. I always keep it fun. Um, But I do always start by summarizing what we've been up to. And then if folks join us later, we'll open the floor to them. And just a reminder about what Germ Network is. Germ Network is social media built to empower you through our design as well as our technology. And we're building our community publicly to stay accountable to you all out there to learn what you depend on and are missing in social and to share our perspective on how we're approaching social media and messaging. I am Tessa. I was a digital literacy expert teaching at Stanford before leaving to found this company. And my co-founder, Brett, who is an awesome UX designer, is here as well under our germ account. And this is really an open source syllabus. So all the materials that I mentioned are up in our Discord and we're here every Tuesday night and we hang out in our Discord voice chat on Friday afternoons. Um, we're taking next week off from these events, but the discord will stay live. Hey, welcome, Natalie. I'm just giving a little spiel. Um, I've been summarizing what we have been up to on germ syllabus so far. This is week six. So this is the first week that I won't go week by week of the first five weeks, but the major themes that have emerged over these first five sessions include centering marginalized people and women of color in our conceptions of tech ethics, how those populations haven't been served by existing platforms, and the ways that business models and leadership incentivize away from building products that serve all users, including marginalized users. And if you're just joining today, if you're here today on Twitter, or if you're listening in the future via podcast, I think I have been observing this week that the social media space, it feels like it's finally cracking open in this way that I've somewhat been predicting for several years since I started working on this company a few years ago. So it's a great time to learn more about what got us here so that we can make healthier and more intentional choices about our future. This week, we saw Meta, Lyft, Twitter, and other companies lay off tens of thousands of trust and safety workers, um, which is really scary. I feel like they're undoing some of the progress that we begged them for in 2020. So I'm interested to hear what you guys think about that. But a, a couple... A couple more notes I'll make. So tonight's theme is abuse and supremacism online, which I think those are sort of micro and macro versions of interplays of power and harm. Brett and I were just talking about, you know, how do we define these terms? What I was thinking tonight is that abuse is interpersonal and supremacism are systems of oppression that make interpersonal abuse possible or often kind of encourage it. So like misogyny is male supremacism and the fact that Instagram doesn't moderate nine out of 10 instances of misogynist abuse in DMs is institutionalized misogyny. 
But each of those instances are abuse. I think what Brett and I were chatting about earlier is how do you differentiate abuse from bullying and other terms like that. And that I think is a little more slippery. Um, One thing I was thinking about tonight as I was preparing for this super heavy chat is about our name germ, because the first question I always get is about why are we called germ? And I have a million different answers. It's a very rich metaphor. But one answer I have is that we're called germ because we're not squeamish about the human condition. Like we want to think about fun things like connection and community building. But actually, if you want to build a social media company, you're going to have to deal with harm. And you can do that better if you think about it before it actually happens, right? So as a team, we're very proactive in our design and our scenario modeling about envisioning harmful situations and designing around mitigating them or making it easier for people to deal with them. And I think that's something that also comes from my training as an intersectional feminist, that you look to the margins first and you design for marginalized experiences like experiences of harm. So the articles that I gathered tonight um, have three key themes, and these are all up in Discord. They are product design, policy, and culture. On the product front, I have two pieces about how often women get harassed in DMs and how little thought goes into designing to interrupt that. Um, From last April, we have the Center for countering digital hates, how Instagram fails to act on nine to 10 instances of misogyny and GMs, which I just mentioned. And from March, we have Slack's new DM feature can be used to send abuse and harassment with just an invite. And that was something that launched in March. And there was like widespread immediate backlash from women about the initial rollout of Slack Connect. And then we have some pieces about institutionalized racism at Facebook. One piece is called White Nationalist Groups Are Thriving on Facebook, and it's about how Facebook is auto-creating and suggesting white supremacist groups. And another is called Facebook While Black. Users call it getting zucked. And that's from 2019 that shows the other side of that equation where users of color who are talking about racism are getting banned and shadow banned. And that's something that we're still hearing from meta companies. Like I hear that from Instagram users a lot. And then on the cultural front, I gathered a couple of pieces about Steve Bannon and Gamergate, because I think if you really want to understand widespread coordinated digital supremacism online, you have to learn about how Steve Bannon, the Trump advisor, had a company involved with the World of Warcraft community, and he saw the legions of angry white male World of Warcraft players as this resource that he could radicalize, which he did to huge success with the help of Milo Yiannopoulos and Breitbart, where they supported the misogyny of the Gamergate movement and actually really birthed the alt-right movement out of that brew. So there's a lot there, and there are a lot of scholars with really deep expertise on this. Um, but that's what I gathered for us tonight. And tonight, some questions that I have for you all and for our community are, have you experienced abuse online? Has it been from strangers or from people you know? And what kinds of design interventions and policy choices could have made things better for you? 
And what tools do you use or like, or what platforms do you use or like that make the internet feel safer for you? Um, and one more thing I wanted to say before we open the floor tonight is let's use trigger warnings. If we're talking about things that are really like graphic, like, Hey, I'm going to mention something graphic trigger warning. And also let's speak carefully, especially if it's not about your own experience. Like if you're responding to someone else's commentary or one of these articles. Um, so that's my spiel and, uh, yeah, let's open the floor. I'm interested to hear what Brett's thinking, what Natalie's thinking. Um, just always glad to be talking about these important subjects. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I kind of mentioned it before, but, uh, or before you did your spiel, I love how we're just calling it a spiel. Like it's a thing. I mean, I guess it is a thing, but yeah, I, I guess I was, cause like I, the way I would classify abuse is like that. Yeah. From what you were saying that of course there's like, you know, the, the idea of like being against women or against a certain race or against a certain uh, sexual orientation like that, that is abuse as well. But I, I mostly just thought of it as like, just like trolls or uh, like bullying and, and things like that. And I, I guess you can kind of separate it from each other, but like, I think they're, they're both, interconnected with each other because like you know a lot of because they are a minority or they're they are um or like the victim is a minority in the grand scheme of things i guess um it's what i'm trying to say but yeah in terms of um my own experience with abuse i you know like i i think that like takes me back to our discussion that we had a few weeks ago like I I am a white male. I am a white straight male. Um, and I am like, you know, I and because of that, I am like privileged. So it's like I don't experience that as much as like women do or black people do or, you know, people in the LGBTQ plus community uh, do. So I don't experience that. However, like I do like, you know, I keep my Instagram private. Um, I keep my Twitter private because like there are um, like, I don't necessarily love the idea of like people like it, it feels so public and I don't love the idea of like just being attacked. And, you know, I am of the, like the majority of people. Uh, so in, in that sense, um, but, but yeah, it's like, I, I, I guess I'm just here mostly just to listen to your stories of your experience with abuse and bullying or um, that, that online experience. And like, you know, you hear these news stories all the time of like, cause as, as Tessa mentioned at the beginning, I am a huge sports fan, but you know, you hear these stories from like, um, athlete, like fans of other teams would be saying the N word to athletes or, like that's a that's abuse in its own way or like a lot of the female athletes are a lot of the female athletes aren't taken as seriously or they're sexualized when they don't want to be sexualized for like you know it's not just female athletes like any celebrity so it's like you hear all these stories um all the time of like just like like celebrities just being mistreated purely because like 
I guess like the cool thing about Twitter is that you can interact with celebrities, but then you also there is that other dark side of it where there are people who truly want to get under people's skin or they want to like stalk um for for that example of like a female celebrity that like, it's mm-hmm. a lot easier to stalk someone because of tools like Twitter. And so it's like it's like the good with the bad where it's like it's cool that I can like message a celebrity if they have their dms open but like you also like realize like that they're 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 not going to respond to you really just because they're um well first off they probably get so much fan mail but you have to like you know just because of instances where it's like they probably get all these like hate mail all the time and yeah so so there's that aspect of it but um it's like that frictionless world you know what do you mean like it's the dangers and the pleasures of this frictionless world where like it's so easy for everyone to connect with everyone I mean I think it's interesting because you were talking earlier about watching that Selena Gomez documentary and how you know you wouldn't think that yeah you know celebs have like mental health struggles but I mean of course they do but in the context of what you were just talking about just now right I know about this from several research papers that my students did over the years like the problem of bullying on Twitter in particular is so profound and there's a lot of celebrities who have literally been bullied and trolled off of Twitter And it is because, you know, even if they're not responding to people, like they do literally have Twitter on their phone, just like we do. And they do literally open up their mentions just like we do. And they see this horrible abuse. And I mean, I, I hope tonight, you know, we can think about like solutions too. So we don't have to just sort of dwell in this like misery all evening. But one of the things that we, I mean, I think that this sort of context is part of why when we designed germ, we gravitated towards a messenger. And, you know, there are also studies of misinformation and violence, incitement to violence on platforms like WhatsApp and stuff. But this aggressive interpersonal, and they call it like bandwagoning, you know, abuse where it becomes like almost the the game on Twitter that day, you know, is to attack that one person, it really affects people and they leave, you know, the platform. And there's something about, I mean, a phrase that I've been using in some of my writing about germ is scaled abuse and just this ability, Mm -hmm. because there's always been bullying and there's always been abuse, but never in history could you get bullied, you know, by 10,000 people at once or like a hundred thousand people at once. And it seems like, you know, the lack of friction in design, the ease, the the quickness and the ease with which you can contact anyone anytime creates these opportunities for this like mass sort of flash mob of bullying. And it's really, it's dangerous. And I think people are, I mean, I'm so deep in our consumer research now that young adults are pulling into smaller communities and they're less interested in feeds and stuff. And we were talking about mental health earlier. And I wonder if we're starting to see like there's benefits of this hyper connectivity. And I know that I've been really sad on Twitter this week, feeling like my precious global chat room is just going to collapse any day now. 
But also there is a dark side to this connectivity because you get this mob mentality that can really attack people and it's not, it's not cool. Right, right. Um, by the way, Natalie, I know that you're listening and it's fine if you want to continue to listen. Me and Tessa are fine with just talking to each other. But if at any point you want to talk, uh, you can just request to speak um, and we'll, one of us will um will mention but if you just want to listen that's totally fine too but yeah no yeah that is like a good point i think like like if we're going to gear this discussion more towards solutions i um i think what you were mentioning before was like just the, the fact that the this younger generation is leaning more towards mental health and they are more like open about their when they are feeling down and depressed and things like that, you know, it was, it was interesting just from, cause uh, the Natalie's in here, it reminded me, but um, something about like, cause I, I officially created an account on Mastodon and I couldn't figure it out. And I was just like, I was just try- like annoyed basically. And, uh, and then, so I just posted something on our discord saying like, Hey, I, like, you know, I try, I got a Mastodon, but I'm so confused by it. And then uh, Natalie just like responded and said like, Oh yeah, same here. And it's just like, you know, just from like a mental health perspective, it was just like, it's kind of like nice to know that like people are feeling the same thing, like the, have the same emotions, like, um, like and, and I think you had mentioned this too, Tessa, about like how you're you're on Twitter just being all sad that Twitter is going down the tubes and whatever. But I, I like I, I I assume you can also like about the downfall of Twitter as well on Twitter. So it's like I think that's like another aspect. Twitter or on Discord or on any platform basically. And like you'll find someone who like feels the same way as someone and that can like that's like a healthy way of thinking about it because mm-hmm. it's like just alone on the internet and like you know the, the thing yeah. i mean i guess this is a common theme today but like the internet can like make you feel so alone if bullied and ab- um and whatnot but it can also like be a g- great connection place and it can be a way for people to like you know, feel connected and like, I guess it's the opposite of alone. Um, and I, I, I think that's like, if you want to get to like positive, like combat abuse is like being supportive of people and being nice to people and being helpful of people and like just acknowledging like when you're feeling depressed or when, acknowledging when you're hurt. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, I, I think that's the cool thing about germ when the product's out is that we do have this like intense reporting system um, or not intense. I I shouldn't (laughs) describe it that way, but we're like, we're relying a lot on user controls and a lot of that comes in with reporting. So it's like when you feel uh, not great, um, like by someone's actions, you can report and we're, like that's our one of our top priorities on germ and it's one of the things that we're we're trying to make as a differentiator and a part of a brand like we care that you're you know if you're sad we're going to try to help make it better um and you know you have these user controls 
uh, to, to make it better. It's really interesting because I have been really feeling sad about Twitter collapsing and I have been thinking about germ a lot because, you know, germ really is designed as a messenger and we made a decision early on studying, you know, harms that we didn't want to start with a public feed we wanted to start with private messaging because we thought that would be a place where we could create these moments of friction more meaningfully and it could make a difference in people's experience without ruining what they were trying to do so like Brett was just talking about that you know you were just talking about that we have reporting available really pre like prominently in our UX, right? It's easy to find. It's not just that it's there, but that it's easy. But we also have double opt-in for all connections. So like that Slack Connect debacle that I shared, you have to approve someone talking to you before you get their message. So you can't just be sending people that don't accept you, you know, messages all day, the way people get bullied on Twitter, you know, but at the same time, like, germ when I dream of germ you know Twitter also still exists and germ is not a substitute for Twitter and I think you know one of the guys that I've been talking to a college friend that has given me some advice during this process um, he's repeated to me several times I've told you this Brett the invention of the ship is the invention of the shipwreck. It's from the scholar um, who I can look up here in a second. And I think you can see that every coin has two sides. Every sword is double edged, And one thing comes with the other. Like germ is designed to be a much more safe and controlled experience and really optimized to be the way that you talk to the people that you talk to better. But Twitter is a global chat room where you can receive your broadcast from everybody and that's why it has the dangers and the downsides that it does because you can talk to everybody and everybody can pile on everybody. And sometimes when you're on, you know, the good side of that, that's a lot of fun to pile on, you know, the main character of the day and how dumb they are or how rude they were. Um, and it's like a bonding exercise and you feel, you know, self-righteous because they deserved it. But it like it harnesses that mob mentality on a global scale, whether it's to attack someone or whether it's to have a revolution. Like there's no better platform in the world. And I will always say this for breaking news and for immediate coordination. I mean, there's studies also about Twitter in disaster response. Like it's just, germ is a much more controlled environment and you don't tap into the global consciousness that way. I would like to work our way back towards large scale discoverability and content feeds. Um, but I think the fact is we've learned in the last few years that those types of spaces are prone to abusive supremacist behavior. And so I think we charted a roadmap for ourselves that starts with group chats because that's a place where people know each other, they're talking to each other, and you can 
except for groups that are, you know, avowed bad actors, which obviously is a whole conversation. Um, people want to be nice to each other when other people are watching and it's a more controlled environment. And so we made a decision to kind of start there, especially since we want to be end-to-end encrypted. But it's, you know, it's a lot of like complex feelings watching Twitter sort of implode because it's, I can see the pluses and the minuses and what I really wish in my heart is that like what I really wish in my heart is that Twitter had like become the platform that we wanted it to be so that we almost wouldn't even need germ like I'm a very reluctant entrepreneur like I'm doing this because no one else I think is solving problems in ways that feel totally satisfying to me But, you know, I'd rather be in a cottage in the woods, like, writing my novel, I think. Um, And I wish that Twitter was, like, doing all the things. I mean, like, Block Party. I think of Tracy Cho's company, Block Party, which is so outstanding. And I've been thinking about her this week because her whole platform is a Twitter tool. So, like, first of all, her company shouldn't even need to exist because Twitter should give you your the tools that you need to keep yourself safe but also what happens to block party if twitter goes down like we need that level of proactivity in companies themselves you shouldn't have to rely on a third party to make your platform safe and that's i mean you can it's good to have those plugins but i also want to continue to see platforms that prioritize trust and safety in their design from the beginning Um, and especially, you know, have women leaders that think about that stuff from the beginning and prioritize it throughout the org because it's, it's necessary. I don't know what else to say about that. We need it. We need it now. Yeah. It's interesting because you started it out as like, you know, germ is not a replacement for Twitter, but then towards the end, it's like, you know, you, you also said that twitter like if twitter didn't exist or like if twitter did focus on moderation then germ wouldn't exist basically um in a sense but so i i think there is that like i i think i know what you mean by those like two things because it, it does seem like they're conflicting but i think on the other hand it's like you know, there is that double-edged sword of like, you know, like the reason why you don't want to be on Twitter or I don't want to be on Twitter, I guess I can't speak for you, but um, it's more that like it, there is that cesspool. There is a lot of people who are toxic and just just hate and are trolls and whatever. And that's the platform because you want on a platform where there are those kinds of people the um, same standpoint it's like you know i wouldn't have connected with you without the internet um tessa i wouldn't you know there's also the element here here of all like, of us all of us here and so yeah, much exactly. of our community yeah double-edged sword basically that you were saying with the ship and the shipwreck analogy as well of like yeah social media is really cool from this perspective of 
you can connect with people all around the world without even meeting them in real life <laughs> to the point that like me and Tessa still have yes, not met Yes, and then you can also attack life, them. It's funny. Germ will have its own problems, but like I think we can learn a lot from the last 15 years. And I think if I can sort of gesture towards like the, the next few sessions of this class, cause we start talking more, you know, the first half was really about what's already happened on the internet. And it kind of ends with, you know, what are these new technologies that are emerging encryption technology, moderation technology, web three stuff that's happening. And I know we have a web three devotee here, but I think something that I've seen in the last few years, you know, 2020 had so many calls for racial justice and those calls went out not exclusively to platforms, but including to platforms. And this is kind of a broad sort of cultural studies vibe, but I kind of get this vibe that like the whole hog dive into web three and web and AI from the position of sort of technical like tech movers and shakers and the, the people that control the capital. There was this kind of disinterest in doing the work to make web two better. And they just would rather go build web three. I know that's kind of a, like a hot take, Matt. Um, but just this feeling of like, this was a, this is a feeling that I have that we finally had these really vocal communities talking about, here's what can make trust and safety, you know, scalable on Google products, on Facebook products, on Twitter, on Snapchat, on TikTok. Like we had this huge outpouring and finally listening to marginalized users and what they needed to make themselves safe and like tech was just so not interested they were like actually web 2 is just over why don't we just pour all of our money into web 3 and ai and actually it's so important that we move fast and break things that we're not even going to take our lessons from web 2 with us and we're going to you know, this was the debacle at Google with the ethical AI team. We're not even going to think about, you know, like prioritizing, you know, I don't even want to say fair, but like functioning non-discriminatory outputs from our new giant AI language models that we're creating and our AI visual tools that we're creating and all of those tools are starting to be released now and they're released with these mea culpas that there's these insane like racist outputs coming out of these tools and as someone watching I'm like how is this okay like how did we not learn our lessons from web 2 before we dove into web 3 and you know the generalized AI movement and it's like because they didn't learn the lessons from Web 2. They never implemented them in Web 2. And now they want to don't not implement them in Web 3 and in general AI. And I know that's a strong take, but I really feel like part of what we're doing um, at Germ oh, is like... Sorry, just this last point, I guess, is like almost like slowing the roll into Web 3 and being like, yes, these technical tools are incredible, 
but like let's pause and design trust and safety systems into these tools so that we don't just deploy like super private messaging that's immediately abusable like that's so dangerous right i know that's dangerous and I think we have such an opportunity to use the lessons of the last 20 years of social networking and put them into practice before just testing, you know, these powerful, powerful tools in the wild. Um, when a lot of use cases have been proven out already and we know what we need to do to make them better for people. So let's, let's do that is my feeling. I, yeah, I know what you mean. Um, I guess the, the only like pushback I would say, though, from this hot take that you had, is that like I f I think like like Web two was basically based off of like the failures of what Web one had, um, and then Web three I feel like is based off of the failures that Web two have, and like a lot of the re like a lot of the draw for Web materials especially cryptocurrency um is because it's like more secure because of privacy and that's because of like what I, cryptocurrency isn't as popular now um or the craze kind of stopped was because there's a lot of scammers out there who are just more predatory and um they just turned out to not be trustworthy um and they just wanted like to like you know there's this like fear of missing out type of venture to it and there's this like um but like the whole like purpose of like an nft was because you you did have the security of like you you actually own this product um and it's like so in theory, like that is very much based off of privacy and data things. I just don't think I think they went about it or it was marketed as like this new thing that everyone's gonna be doing when like it turns out like okay, there's just a lot of people like they just went about it in the wrong way. And then as for like AI stuff, I feel like like I, I mean I think that's the think like the thing with AI is is that or the way that it works from what I understand is is that they're taking like words they're taking art from things that were already created so like any of those like AI robots that can write you a paragraph or whatever they're writing that based off of everything that's ever been said on the internet and it turns out whatever's been said on the internet is a bunch of sexist stuff. It's a bunch of racist stuff. Um, and um, so, like, I don't think the technology for AI is there just yet because of what you're saying about, like, the abuse aspect of it, that, like, they are harassing people. And, um, you know, it's like it's taking art from people without their consent. Um so there, you know, like I, I do agree with what you're saying about like this new age of Web3 where they aren't learning from it. But from the other standpoint, like the whole purpose of cryptocurrency was because it's private 
Um, and I, I think that's just in a reaction to uh, like the Cambridge Analytica stuff and uh, what's like, you know, the Amazon, Amazon basically running everything and Google running everything and knowing every little part of everyone's lives. Um, like those big three companies basically. And um, so I, I think there is an element of like, like, I, I think, I think like the, I don't think the NFTs were going to be the, the next big thing, but like, I did like the concept of NFTs to begin with, um, if that makes sense. I guess I just don't totally agree at where you're drawing the line between like technology and policy or what's a failure and what's a learning because I see a learning of web two is that we need trust and safety apparatuses and we need to prioritize, let's say marginalized users in our design. And it's not a technical failing of these AI models that they don't do that. And it's not a technical failing of some of these crypto models that they don't do that either. It's a human failing to, again, not design trust and safety systems and mitigate harms for marginalized users. So, like, Web3, I think, is not just... A, lear- a cultural learning from Web 2. Like Web 3 is new technologies. It's new capacities of software to do new things. And so there's new stuff that has been invented and has been deployed. But like humanity is the same. And I feel like we refuse to learn about humanity And we continue to fall prey to these techno-optimist narratives that say, oh, if we just invent something better, we won't scam each other and we won't kill each other and we won't abuse each other. And it's like, to me, that is the crux of the invention of the ship, is the invention of the shipwreck. Like, things are always going to crash. People are always going to defraud each other. People are always going to abuse each other. There's always in our existing society going to be racist outputs when there's so much racism in our society. And so if you don't think about that in advance and if you're so naive to think that if you invent something so good, it will cure the human condition, you're just going to scale it in a new way and you're going to set a new tool off that you could have prevented stuff before you deployed it, but instead you just deployed it and now you have to put the cat back in the bag. And that's always way harder than like dealing with the cat when it was still in the bag. So I think that would be where I would like sort of want to reframe what you were saying. Um, yeah. Yeah, I guess, no, that's a good point. I, I guess you also have a good point about, like, the marginalized um, people that it's not necessarily, like, geared towards it. I was, I guess I was just thinking of, like, how, like, cryptocurrency started was based off of the fact that, like, people were sick of the banks controlling everything. 
and like and that was you know they and they just wanted a more secure it, like thing basically so that's what like i was just and like it's just based off of security and privacy um more so i i do think though that it turned into something else um entirely where it's it's now like you know that whole like ftx I was just going to say, and that's like human failure, right? Like that is like misogyny or it's like white supremacism and male supremacism in action that he could do what he did with no diligence, no board. Like that's not a failure of like cryptography, you know, that's a failure of like these same human systems that remove, refuse to hold their own in-group members accountable. Fair. Yeah, no, yeah, that, that is a good point. I guess I was just pushing back more on the fact that, like, I, I guess I was thinking that they did, like, the reason why Web3 is, I feel like it's more based off of security and privacy. Um, but yeah, no, that is a good point in terms of, like, content moderation. So, like, do you mean, like, instead of, like, building new technologies, you would rather them improve Twitter and improve Facebook? Or I think they could have, and they didn't. Um, yes, I would. I would rather. Like, okay. I think there's this fetishization of progress that the new tech is always going to be more humanitarian, and I think history has proved that wrong. And okay. it's worth fixing what we have. First. But like, I like will... with Earth too. Like, fix Earth. Don't go to Mars. Fix Earth. True. But like I will say, like, but like, are you going to try the metaverse? Like, you know, it's a lot. Like, it, let's say, like, Mark Zuckerberg says tomorrow that he says, like, you know what, you guys were all right. We should take user se- data privacy seriously. That's going to be our central value that we're going to have for the rest of our existence. And they implement the data security in meta or whatever in the metaverse like i don't think like we lost the trust of facebook we lost the trust of twitter we lost the trust of amazon and google and you know like any big tech corporation there so like like yeah i I do agree with you that they could make improvements on it but i guess maybe to your point like you're saying it's like because they don't they're not doing it we're just forced to build another platform yeah that's Um, what i was gonna say like if i thought that they would ever do that i wouldn't have started germ but i think there's a difference between like a platform and you know the technologies that they're built on and i think that they're i think we can do better i mean i actually really like this one um ceo andrew aaron levy who is kind of like a pretty vocal Web3 critic. And I have a lot that I, you know, there's certain Web3 technologies that I am bullish on, but I think there's lots that we could do better with Web2. And there's this kind of like resistance to doing it. And I feel like Germ is sort of entering into that. I like the Web2.5 terminology because I feel like I agree with Aaron Levy that most of us every day are 
dealing with web two technologies and we will be for a while, but at the same time, web three technologies are becoming more and more prevalent and more and more integrated into our digital infrastructures. And so I don't want to build something that's so web two that we get left behind, right? you know, but at the same time, so we need to be like compatible with web three technologies, but at the same time, the heart of our social interactions every day on the internet are functioning very well on web two and they could function even better. And we don't just have to dive into these cutting edge technologies, which I think still will be maturing over the next, you know, decade, um, unless we actually need them. And like, to me, the biggest tech learning of the last 10 years has been trust and safety matters and you should prioritize it at the beginning. And I think that's the energy that I've just been trying to take to our use case of messaging. And then from there we can think about, okay, what technologies do we actually need to serve people's needs for feeling secure and for feeling safe and for feeling connected. And then we can choose the tech stack that's going to serve that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I guess that's a fair point, but like, Let's say, like, I get. I guess this is a hypothetical because uh, I don't see this happening. But let's say that Mark Zuckerberg says that he's going to focus more on on privacy and data security. Would you use Facebook more? I don't think I trust anything that comes out of his mouth. So I would have to see things happening. Um, but I mean, we've talked extensively about him and his leadership and how the first thing he ever did was harass every single girl at Harvard. So like, I literally have no, like, sign me up for the vote of zero confidence. Like I have no faith in Mark Zuckerberg. I think the thing that would make me have faith in Meta as a company would be a new CEO. Okay. Yeah, that's a fair point. But it's not like their technologies are, I think their technologies could be made safer, although not that much. I mean, that's part of the creation of germ too. Like the advertiser based model is just sort of corrupted, but I do think that he continues erring on the side of like Steve Bannon, not like, you know, I don't know, Sophia Noble. Yeah. Okay, that's a fair point. I guess, yeah. If, if if Facebook just had a different CEO, then yeah, I guess that I guess that was more my point. It's like, yeah, we could improve upon all this, like Twitter. That's like like just the product platforms that still exist, like Twitter and Facebook, but like we don't trust them. But yeah, I guess if like Elon Musk is kicked out and. Mark Zuckerberg is kicked out for people who do care about safety and data privacy, then I I guess then that would work, but that's not happening. So that's why more people are forced to, well, not forced, but like are more interested in Web3. I will add that one of the biggest like cognitive dissonances that I'm working through right now is just working on this book about grad student activism and being an entrepreneur 
But I think the way that I make sense of it in my head is that both of them are about believing that you can change the systems that you live in and having this like incredible hubris that you can find other like-minded people and build new systems and change systems like potentially on a massive scale and I think that's the that's the energy that I want to bring to germ that activist energy that we can do anything if we do it together um, and we can even build a safer internet. Yeah, you're here. Here, here. Well, Nat, thanks for listening. Catch up with you later. Brett, my co-hostess with the mostess. Yeah, same. Um, and our website yeah. works. And our website works. Yeah, germnetwork.com. Also, Discord um, is in our Twitter bio. Um, our invite link is there. Although, I guess if this is a podcast, I mean, I guess our Discord invite link will always be in our Twitter bio. So, uh, you can check that out there. And our website will always have a Discord <laughs> link as well. So, here, here. That. Yeah. Here, here. All right. Let's call it a night. Let's call it. All right. Bye.